So for those of you who are newer, we've actually been in a series this summer called Identity, the Unchangeable Truths That Define Us. Basically, we've been exploring what it means for us to be the church. And perhaps if it's the first time you've heard me say that, you might wonder, what do you mean be the church? Isn't church a place you go to? I mean, church is a building. What does it mean for us to be the church? Really, as we look through Scripture, in fact, church isn't a building. It's not an hour on Sunday. It's not something you can go to. In fact, church isn't really something that you can even be late to. We are, Scripture says, the church. And as we look at all these metaphors of what it means for us to be the church, we've seen that at the very core of what it means for us to be the church, the kind of irreducible strand of DNA that defines us is simply this, this idea, that we, the church, are defined by the reality of who Jesus is. So in very practical terms, that means that as Christians, it's an opportunity for us to be Jesus to those around us. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to You Be Jesus. This is the show where a member of our congregation gets to be Jesus for a fellow brother or sister in Christ. Now, each week, this church staff prays for every prayer request that comes into the church. This week, we've randomly selected one of those prayer requests. Is Melissa Tooley here? Uh, yes. Melissa, come on up. No, nope, I'm good. No, it's, it's going to be good. We're going to try out a new way to pray for you. Come on up. Give her a hand, everyone. We can get her up here. Come on, Melissa. Just have a seat. So, it's been a tough week. Yes, it has. To pray for you, we've also randomly selected a member of our congregation. Is uh, Daniel Stedman here? Oh, uh, that's me. Mr. What's Stedman. Going on? I was playing candy for, uh, donated to orphans in Africa. Right, right. Well, you, you get to be Jesus for Melissa here. So, come on up. Give me my hand, everyone. Just have a seat here. All right, I get to be Jesus. Whenever you're ready. Okay. Uh, so what's, what's going on? Well, um, I was recently let go from my job, and I was a nanny, so that's also where I lived. So now I'm unemployed and have 30 days to find a new place to live. Okay, I'm out. Uh, anyone else want to be here, Jesus? Not nice. Please, someone who knows what they're doing. I'm sorry, it's you. You took a test for this stuff, right? You passed? Just have a seat. I just feel like I'm stepping on Drew's toes. Here. No, it's, it's you. We, we selected you. Go ahead and sit down. Right. Just, I'm not very good at this. First time out, no one is. We're going to work through it together. That's why we're here. Okay, so all right. I'm Jesus. Um, hey, if I'm Jesus, can I just solve her problem? That would be nice. No, Jesus can, but you can't. You're more like a mini Jesus without the powers. Well, then I would like to request a smaller problem. What? No, this is the problem she's got, so this is what you have. And I kind of want to ask her out. Can I do that? <laughs> no, Jesus would not ask her out. But many Jesus really wants to ask her out. So Maybe I should explain the rules to you again. Okay, I, I don't mean to be rude, but um, I would like another Jesus. <laughs> no, see, this is the Jesus you've got. This is the problem she's dealing with. So this is what you're going to handle. And go. Okay. You guys just do your best. All right. Um, you recently lost your job. Yes. Um, 
What did you do to get fired? What? Wrong. Wrong. Wrong question. Uh, okay. Uh, what did they do? Better. Okay, usually I just ask two questions and the woman leaves. Uh, so, kind of in new territory here, I'm not sure. Just be empathetic, uh, shoulder to cry on, just listen without judging. Coming from the woman who just got fired. Be nice. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, I'm really going to need another Jesus, and this time one with more hair. Kids. Oh, can we pray for that? Yeah. Let's no. Do, can you, you be my mini Jesus? Pray for me. We've gotten way off track. I think we're done here. Thank you, everyone. And remember, go out and be Jesus for someone else. That way, you can be empathetic and listen. Well, as we dive into this, this topic, you know, I, I didn't know this before the 9 o'clock service, but after the 9 o'clock service, we were talking in the back room. That's actually a real-life scenario. She actually did just get let go of her job, and she has 30 days to find a home. So, so yeah, I know. I just ruined it, didn't I? The, the humor. But, but truly, like, this is an opportunity for us as the church. We've we, we got to figure this out. And, uh, and don't say, now, Drew, that's what we pay you to do, but l let's figure this out. And uh, if you have any ideas, come talk to me afterwards. But we, we want to, especially in the reality of this situation, um, to be able to walk that journey. It's so true. What does it mean for us to be Jesus? You know, in so many ways, we, we take a look at this and laugh, and, and we think, okay, yeah, what does it mean for us to, to be Jesus? And as we take a look at this, this topic today, there's, there's, there's a truth that I think undergirds all of what I want to talk about. It. It's simply this. To be saved is perhaps the simplest thing you can do. To be a Christian is perhaps the most difficult thing you can do. Let me say that again. To, to be saved is really the simplest thing that, that you can do. To, to be a Christian is the most difficult thing you can do. Now, immediately that might set up a tension for you in your mind. You might say, well, what does that mean? I mean, to be saved, you have to be a Christian, right? Yes. But let's, let's, let's unpack this. Let's unpack this. So let me pray for us, and as we do, uh, when I'm done praying, grab the pew Bible in front of you. Not yet, but after I'm done praying, let's grab that Bible and turn to Acts chapter 11. So, Let's pray right now. God, I thank you for this moment as we turn to your word. Help us to understand the truth that you reveal. May you peel back the layers of the untruths that we have added on to what it means to be a Christian, to be your people, to be the church. May we find the truth that you reveal to us in your word as we hear your word proclaimed. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, so why don't we open up those Bibles to Acts chapter 11. And as you do so, this is the Pew Bible, this is the New Revised Standard Version. We'll have uh, that up on the screen as well. For some of you who have it on your phones, you can open that up and go to the New Revised Standard Version, Acts chapter 11. And as we go to Acts chapter 11, verse 19, this is the first of only three times in the entire New Testament in which the term Christian is used. This is the first of three times in the New Testament of which the term Christian is used. Let me read this for us. As you hear this, this is God's Word. This is Acts chapter 11, verse 
19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, and they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. So it was that for an entire year they met with the church and taught a great many people and it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. This, my friends, is God's word. So let me get back to that, that, that statement that some of you might be wondering, what, where, where is he going with this? To be saved is one of the easiest things in the world. Scripture says that all you have to do is put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn God's love. You don't have to live up to some standard. It's not about jumping through some moral hoops. It's not about how many times you show up to church. It's not about doing anything to earn God's love. Simply God shows you before all of creation, before even time began in the, in the eternity that is God's existence, He chose us in Him. And so when we put our faith and we put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, in that moment, we are saved. We're saved from our own brokenness. We're saved from the things that we think will give us satisfaction. We're saved from the things that we think will give us joy, and they don't. And in that moment, God transforms our hearts, Scripture says. That in that moment, God's Spirit dwells in us. Scripture says that we are brought from darkness into His marvelous light. In that moment, we are called His chosen possession of precious people. We're part of a royal priesthood. Right in that moment, things are changed for eternity. And yet... It's one of the hardest things to be a Christian. And here's what I mean by that. When somebody in the first century put their faith and trust in Jesus, the moment they did that, the moment they turned from whatever belief system they had and turned to Jesus and said, okay, I'm going to follow you. In the first century, they didn't immediately call themselves a Christian. They referred to themselves as a believer as a disciple of Jesus, as part of the called, as part of the elect, as part of the people of God. They refer to themselves as a brother or sister in Christ. In fact, in the first century, right in the very beginning, in this early movement of followers of Christ, nobody called themselves Christian. In fact, it was an outsider, it was somebody who was not a follower of Jesus that came up with this phrase. Now, in the early church, there was actually four different phrases, four different words that were used to describe the early followers of Jesus. And these were four things that we find throughout Scripture. And the first is this. Often people refer to these, these unique people that it wasn't just that they put their faith and trust in Jesus. There was something different about how they lived. And so many people referred to this group of people as the Galileans because Jesus was from a region called Galilee, and so they, they said, okay, these Galileans, they were trying to make sense of who are these people. Some people referred to this group of people, these followers of Jesus, as a sect of the Nazarenes. Even in Scripture, it uses that phrase in the book of Acts. 
because Jesus was from Nazareth. So they thought, okay, there's this new religious order, this religious group, so we'll call them the sect of the Nazarenes. Some people refer to this group as the way of Jesus, which reminds us that in the first century, this wasn't just a, about head knowledge. It wasn't just about an intellectual assent or a belief or checking off of the box in your mind. It was, it was actually a way of life. And it was in Antioch that people first began to call this group of people Christians. Now, as the centuries have gone on, as the millennia have gone on, we've, we've kind of, we've packed, so let's say that word Christian is like a piece of luggage. We've packed a lot of things in that piece of luggage that really don't line up with really what it means to be a Christian. And we've added layer upon layer upon it, layer upon layer upon it. And so now, in so many ways, if people are ridiculing Christians, typically they're ridiculing that person, not because they are a follower of Christ in their word and in their deed. It's because somehow they've attached this label to themselves and they're living in a way that is obnoxious, that it doesn't line up with who Jesus is. Did you know, actually, that there's, there's Christian candy? Do you know that? Maybe some of you have in your pockets. Testaments, have you heard of these? It's, I'm not making that up. It's a true. There's like, we, we've like loaded all this stuff on top of what it means to be a Christian. In so many ways it's diluted, it's polluted, it's changed, it's altered what it means for us to be a Christian. So even as we come to this place, there's a lot of layers that we have to peel back. You see, in the first century, yes, when somebody put their faith and trust in Jesus, they were saved. All through faith and trust in Jesus, not earning anything, but it was how they lived their life that didn't affect whether they were saved or not, but it was how they lived their life that determined whether or not an outsider called them a Christian. So where did this phrase come from? Well, actually, during that first century, there were what was called Herodians. So King Herod had people that were in allegiance to him. They were followers of him. They would give their life to him. Everything they did revolved around his lordship, his kingship, and their life. And so they were referred to as Herodians. There was Augustinians, there was people who put their faith in, in Caesar Augustus. So they were referred to as Augustinians. There was Caesarians, anybody who put their faith and trust in Caesar. It was how they lived their life. Nero, you were a Neronian. So this was a very common piece of language. We've removed ourselves 2,000 years from that cultural moment in time. But if we were to go back then, we would find that people would use this phrase to describe this group of people who put their faith and trust in Jesus because there was something about how they lived that was different. It was different than the Herodians. It was different than the Augustinians. It was different than the Caesarians or the Neronians. It was because their Lord was this man named Jesus. They forgave. In fact, this concept of humility was so foreign in the first century that the people were appalled. They were, what, what do you mean that you want to serve others? That's what servants do. What do you mean that you want to care for those on the outside? Isn't that what they're doing in their lot in life? You see, they lived in such a way that they had actually, outsiders then looked at them, and many scholars believe that the term Christian was a term to belittle and degrade these early followers of Jesus. It literally means little Christs, mini-Jesus. Everything they did, the words they spoke, how they lived their life, how they spent their free time, there was something so transformative about that. 
And you see, as I said, it is very hard to be a Christian. The way the Bible describes of how it is for us to be a Christian. As 2,000 years have passed, what we've done is we've taken that moment of salvation and in some ways, and perhaps some of us here think that that's all that there is. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, great, I'm done. Not going to hell, got my ticket to heaven. Okay, okay, now what do I do? I guess I show up to church every once in a while. Um, I don't do certain things. I guess I own a Bible. Maybe I pray. I guess that's what it means for me to be a Christian. And in some ways, we've, we've reduced the glory and the joy and the beauty of what it means to be a follower of Christ in our everyday life. And it's no wonder that we yearn for significance still, that we yearn for meaning and joy and peace and purpose. I want to tell you a, a brief story of a, a friend of mine that he told me this week. And in some ways, you know, you, you might say, well, yeah, oh, yeah, they're a Christian. And there's some people that you look at and you say, wow, now that's a Christian. There's Christians and there's, there's Christians. Yes, they're both saved. They're both going to experience eternity with God in, in, in heaven, yes. But there's some that just, they just live it out. It just, it just exudes from who they are. And in some ways, those people are terrifying to me because I have to grow as a Christian. And so when my friend told me this story, he was actually leading me, and he said this. This is actually a young man. He's in his mid-20s, and actually it was, a, it was a student that I knew in high school ministry. I had mentored him. He actually grew up and went to college in this area, actually attended the college group here at this church. And he tells him this story. He's now a leader at another church, and he was leading a group of high school kids up on a retreat in Northern California. And he was up there, and he tells me the story of this, this young man that was really an outsider. Nobody really wanted anything to do with him. He was kind of odd, and there was something just, just, just kind of different about him. And he wanted nothing to do with God. He'd, he'd miss some of the meetings. And if anything came up about God or anything about Jesus, he would just kind of just say something that made it uncomfortable. And so a lot of people were just avoiding him throughout the week. And so this, this young man that I know, he is a prayer. And he prays and prays and prays and prays and prays because he's putting into practice what it means for him to be a Christian. And he tells me the story that he was praying uh, throughout that trip for this young man that wanted nothing to do with God. And one of those nights, this young man that I know woke up in the middle of the night. It was like 3 in the morning, and he had no idea why he woke up, but he felt, and, and maybe you hear this and you might think, that's odd. What, I, I, that doesn't happen to me. What, this is what happened. He woke up in the middle of the night, and he just felt this, this, this sense of God saying, you know, I want you to go outside. Now, if you hear God, that doesn't make you now a Christian, yet he has this intimate prayer life with God that he just, he's, just seems to have this sense of just connection. And so he wakes up and he just gets a sense from God, I want you to go outside. And so he goes outside and he sees outside just a mess. And it's, and it's, and I'm sorry for this, but it's, it's vomit. And he's, that's weird. And he's walking and he doesn't know what's going on. And, and he just feels the sense of kind of God leading him. And there's not this big booming voice from heaven, but he kind of leads outside. And he, and he sees that same young man that wanted nothing to do with God face down, not moving, in the dirt in Northern California, like at 3 a.m., covered, complete mess. And so he, this young man that I know goes over to him, but the stench is just so much. And, he, and he's trying to get down. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to get himself messy, but he just gets the sense of, I, I got I to gotta help. 
So he calls on the leader and they get the ER and they show up and, and finally this kid who had just kind of passed out and fallen asleep and um, they, don't know, they still don't know what happened. Uh, while they're waiting for the ER to show up, this kid had now gotten up and it was, was well enough just to sit down. And so my friend that I know sat down next to him, but you know how it is when somebody smells really bad. You sit down next to him, but really it's like three, four, maybe five feet, and so they sit down. And he's smelling the stench. Now it's like 3.30 in the morning. They're waiting for the ER. And my friend says to me, it was in that moment that I felt this, this sense from God saying, this, my friend, is the gospel. You are the one who's a mess. And you're lost. And you're out in the cold and you're out in the darkness. And I came to you. So put your arm around him like I put my arm around you. And so my friend tells me, then he just scoots over, scoots over, and he just puts his arm around this, this kid. Now he's in the mess. He's in the stink. It's on his arm. It's deep in his nostrils. And he begins to tear up, and this, this young kid looks at him. And he says, what are you doing? And he just says, not knowing the message that I was going to preach today, he shares this to me. He says, I, I just want to be Jesus in your life. I'll fast forward. I won't give you all the details. You can hear more details if you come talk to me afterwards. But at the end of the trip, this young man who wanted nothing to do with God ended up coming to Christ. And after that, has become so enamored with who God is, this young man, so enamored with who Jesus is, so enamored with Scripture. And uh, earlier I asked my, my friend that I know, I said, hey, can you send me that text interchange? He says, yeah, but just don't use any names. Listen to this. This, this young man who my friend was present to, who, who chose to be Jesus, to enter into the reality and the brokenness of his life just to put his arm around him, that young man says this, man, this is awesome. I'm reading the Bible every day since we went to lunch, and every day I just want more and more, like I'm addicted. It's awesome. And then my friend says, that's the best thing to hear. I'm so proud of you, and I'm loving sharing these scriptures back and forth. They're texting scripture back and forth day and night, and this young man says, I know, it's so fun. Like every day I wake up looking forward to this. And then my friend says, that's the best thing to hear. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And then the young man says, man, this past week has just been awesome. I'm praying more, reading more, living a life for him. And then my friend says, woohoo, keep it after it, dude. Keep going after it. And this friend of mine simply said that when that young man gave his life to Christ in the group with all these high school students, somebody asked him, like, what was the change? What happened? Why, why, why go like a 180? You were so anti-God in the beginning of the week, and now, now what is it? And this, this young man said, I just felt loved. I just felt loved. Man, I look at my friend, I'm like, man, you are a Christian. And that is difficult. You know, we have this, this idea that to forgive, we, we talk about that a lot as Christians, as followers of Christ, we talk about that. It is so difficult to forgive. If you really forgive, it takes pain, it takes anguish. You are sacrificing to forgive somebody else. So to really be a Christian, to really be a follower of Christ, to really make manifest who Jesus is, it's actually a very, very difficult thing to do. 
But the amazing thing, and I want to back up, is that remember, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are saved in that moment. God's Spirit dwells in you. And then God begins a good work in you, and He'll carry it on to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So there's this amazing reality, and I want all of us to catch this, that to be a Christian, to be a little Christ, to be a mini-Jesus, is not about imitating some guy that lived 2,000 years ago. That's what I used to think it was. When I was in high school, I used to think that to be a Christian was that you have to, to be a good Christian, you've got to imitate this guy that lived 2,000 years ago. No, no, no. Let me tell you, Jesus is still alive. Yes, he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. Yes, he raised the dead to life. Yes, he healed the blind. He healed the sick. Yes, he was buried. He rose from the grave. But Scripture says that right now he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And in the fullness of time, and this is where my mind just blows, in the fullness of time, Scripture says that Jesus is with all of us who put our faith and trust in Jesus. He's with us right now in our future, in the eternal present. He's with us, and we are fully Christian. Scripture says that one day we will be transformed fully into the image of Jesus. But we're in this in-between time, so it's not so much about imitating Jesus who lived long ago. It's almost about letting Jesus who in our future is pulling us towards him. He's saying, come to me into all of the fullness of who I design you to be, who I desire you to be. You see, it's not about imitating somebody that lived 2,000 years ago. It's recognizing that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you begin a process that God in the future through Jesus is pulling you to. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But here we are in this, this in-between time. And part of what it means for us to be the church and to be Christian is to do the hard work that Scripture so clearly outlines. To be loving, to be forgiving, to be encouraging to lay down our lives for one another. You see, I, I'm not interested. I don't think you are either. We're not interested in just playing church, just showing up and just watching the show because there is no show. We are the church. Let's be the church. Let's, let's actively participate in what God wants us to do, not only in this community but around the world. And part of that... I think is establishing the type of leadership that I and that we want to have here at Bel Air. And, and as your pastor, I, I want to take a moment kind of within the sermon to, to talk about how essential it is for me and for us to have a sacred trust of communication. That there's this sense in my desire that, that I want to be honest with you, I want to be transparent with you, I want to ask for your prayer as you ask for my prayer that we have to create an environment where we can encourage one another, where we can even share our brokenness with one another. And I have to share with you, as a pastor, some information that came to me, and, and I know that perhaps previous leadership in the years past might have handled this differently, but I, but I so value honesty and transparency that I want to share with you some information that came to me uh, from Laura de Assis about her and Enoch. So for those of you who are, who are new and you're visitors and you're like, who are those names? I don't know who that is. You're, you're, you're going to kind of witness the church being the church right now. And Enoch is a former employee here, somebody who we love deeply, a pastor of, of, of outreach and missions who served here faithfully for almost a decade. Laura, 
Uh, Enoch's wife uh, served as our director of care ministry. Been here for many, many years. We love both of them deeply. And Enoch's time wrapped up at the end of June, and Laura's time wrapped up at the beginning of August. And three weeks after Enoch uh, stepped down, after our big celebration for him, three weeks after that, Enoch, um, I'm sorry, three, three weeks after that, Laura came to me and said, I, I have to share something with you, Drew. And Laura shared with me what I want to share with you, and it's simply this, that, that after Enoch had stepped down, that Enoch had initiated the process of divorce with Laura. And I'm sitting there at Corner Bakery, eating my salad, and I just put my fork down, and I can't even process the food, the taste, the information that's coming in. I'm sure some of you who know them so well, who love them so well, are like, what? And as I've sat with that information now for, gosh, about three weeks, I, I've wanted to share that with you. Not in a public, gossipy way, because that's not what it's about, but, but I think that it's so important for us to understand that we need to be praying for this couple. There's so many questions that we can't have answered that, that I still don't have answers to. And as it was beginning to be shared among people in our church, I felt and our elders, our session as we met this week, felt it's so important for us to communicate with you, perhaps in a different way than you're used to, and that's to be honest and transparent and open, and to ask for your prayers for both Enoch and for Laura. We love both of them tremendously. And in the midst of our prayers on Thursday at session, that's where our, our, our teaching pastors, our teaching elders and our ruling elders, which make up kind of the, the, the senior spiritual leadership here at the church, I remember as we were praying for this moment, one of our elders even prayed, God, would you, would you forgive us for having not created an environment where we could have known about this while Enoch was still on staff? And I so long to be part of, and I'm inviting every single one of you to help create a culture here we're in the midst of our brokenness, because I am broken, you are broken, all of us are broken, that we would create a culture where we can ask for help, where we can ask for prayer, where we can ask for encouragement, where we can ask for needs. And that's not just going to be me, it's not just going to be people on staff, but it's got to be every single one of us. You see, we can shape this culture, but we have to choose to step into that. You see, to be a Christian is one of the hardest things in the world because it's a daily walk, it's a daily choice, it's an hourly decision. Sometimes it's a minute-by-minute decision where we ask for forgiveness, where we confess our sins, where we say, I can't do this alone, I need help. And so I want to pause just for a moment and I want to pray for Enoch and Laura. And even as I do, I, I want to pray additionally that we would just be a church, that we would take a look at this moment in time as perhaps a change where we became even more intentional about being the church that God wants us to be. We so want the best for both of them. And I, I have permission from both of them to share this, and so we need to enter into this reality with them, and so we have some elders that are uh, reaching out. I had a long conversation with Laura last night. We've, we've connected with Enoch, and we're trying to get together with him that we want to be able to shepherd them and come alongside them and to serve them in what might be best for them in the years and decades ahead. They're still our brothers and sister. We love them tremendously. It doesn't change that. 
But I want us to shepherd our hearts and our minds to this moment right now. So would you, would you pray with me? God, as we in this moment gather in this place and as some of us are, are receiving this news that, that even I just heard recently, we're, we're processing. And God, I pray that we would run to you. The psalmist says that, that your name is like a tower, that if we run to you, we find refuge. So, Jesus, would you be our rock? Would you be our foundation? May we hold on to you. And as we do so, recognize that you're already holding on to us, that you've already chosen us. God, we pray for Enoch. We pray for Laura. I know even through text messages, God, you know that they even watch the service from afar this morning. So I pray that they would know that they are loved, that they are covered in prayer, that we desire the best for them. And at the same time, we entrust them collectively and individually to you. There's so many details between a couple that really aren't ours to know. And so, God, I thank you that you are in the midst of that relationship, and I pray that you would provide in the ways that only you can. And may we be witnesses to your love. May we be ambassadors of your truth. And God, help us collectively to, to step into the truth of who we are. As we choose you, Jesus, May we live into the truth daily that we are your people. May you shape our identity. May you shape our thoughts and our attitudes, how we go to work, how we lead in our businesses, how we spend time on vacation. All of our lives, God, would you shape it in a way that would make outsiders say, wow, that, that person, man, it just seems like all they have to do is to do it for Jesus. May we be accused of being a Christian for the right reasons. Because through the power of your spirit, Jesus, we make you manifest, not imitating you, but making manifest you in the lives of those around us, our families, our neighbors, our communities, and the world beyond. God, we need you more than ever. And we thank you that you are present with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. You know, as a church... There are so many environments, so many opportunities, even beyond a Sunday, in which we can begin to experience, put into practice what it means for us to be Christians, to be branches of the vine, to be stones of the temple, to be members of the body. You know, the term Christian actually is a metaphor. We forget that, but actually it's a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's, it's a little Christ. I love that in Philippians 1.6, Paul reminds us that God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion of the day of Jesus Christ. So when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you are saved. God puts his spirit in you. He sends you on a trajectory that will not stop. That when God starts something in you, he will not finish it until we're with him face to face. That means that the rest of our life is a journey, not to earn God's love, but to step into an experience and be instruments of that love and peace. We didn't plan this before the service, but in the midst of that last song, Instruments of Peace, I pulled out my phone, I started texting the band or attacking, I'm like, I want that to be our closing prayer at the end of my message. So I've invited uh, some of the team up, and before I conclude our time, before we receive our offering, before the last song and benediction, can we, 
collectively pray this again? Because I think it might have, I imagine, and I know at least for me, it might have deeper meaning now that we just experienced the last 30 minutes together. So let's let this be our prayer right now. Let the thoughts that are swimming in your heart and your head just be centered around these words. So as the team leads us, let's let this be our prayer.